Welcome back to The Hedge, your go-to podcast for all things sports gambling and fantasy basketball. Next up, we're really excited to be having on the sportsbook tamer, the NBA line whisperer, the one and only analytics capper here on The Hedge to talk some hoops. Albert can be found at Analytics Capper on Twitter and on his website, analyticscapper.com. Check it out. It's excellent daily content, if I do say so myself. Albert, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about hoops. Uh, we're getting into the NBA today. There's a lot of things going on. Um, All-Star Game is right around the corner, so let's get started. Yeah, so here on The Hedge, we're trying to give our audience that basketball betting edge to increase their performance. Are there any NBA trends in recent days you've been following? Yeah, the, the biggest trends I'm from Dallas. Uh, is I, you, you and I talked offline about this, but I'm a big Mavericks fan, big Luka fan. But man, they are terrible right now when it comes to bets. Uh, in the last 10 games, they're 1-9 ATS against spread, which is terrible. Uh, that includes an 0-7 record on, the, on, on their home court. I know there's been a lot of talk about the national anthem not being played and things like that, but they should actually focus on the actual basketball because they stink right now. Um, so, yeah, the Mavericks, 1-10 ATS. Conversely, on the other side, we have the Kings. No one's talking about the Kings. In California, everyone talks about the Lakers, Clippers, and Warriors, but actually the Kings, they're eight and two against the spread in the last 10. They're on fire. Uh, they they gave up about 120, 119 for the regular season on defense. In the last 10, they're down to one, 109, 110. So a big 10-point increase there in terms of defensive efficiency. And I think the Kings need to talk be talked about more. As much as I like you, Albert, I'm kind of rooting for your Mavs to fail. I'm a diehard Nick fan. We have your pick. If you could see behind me, I still have Porzingis on my wall over here. I haven't let that go yet. So you can have him back. You can have I mean, him back. I'll redo that trade if you're willing to redo the trade, get those picks back. But certainly, I really hope they don't do well. But I'm curious your take. You mentioned how bad they've been at home on the, on the spread. Do you think there's been a big difference home road compared to normal when um, there are fans in the building? That's a great question. Obviously, there's no fans. I mean, the Mavs had 5,000 fans this previous game. I think Mark Cuban allowed first responders to come in just to honor them. Um, but you're right. There is less of discrepancy this year. However, um, I'm as you guys know, I'm a big analytics stats guy. So I think the NBA is still going to make a, a platform where if you look at the numbers 10 years from today, uh, sure, it could. There could be an asterisk because of the COVID situation, but I, I still think they're going to try to fit. I don't know if this makes sense, but they're going to try to fit the splits, home and away splits, to kind of fall in line with what the pattern has been. And so, I still, I still like home teams uh, in certain situations. Um, I'm a contrarian better myself. All of my models and stuff are very contrarian. So, uh, road teams are the focus. Underdogs are the focus. Um, so, you know, not betting on the Mavericks have actually been pretty good for us. Yeah. I mean, obviously the fans, I think are a factor in this without looking at any data, but you're still, if you're on the road, you're still not sleeping in your own bed. Who knows when you're really getting into town, who knows what you're actually doing. I know they're all supposed to be staying in their hotel rooms, but who knows if that's actually happening too. So I would still think the road team should be underdogs, you know, over the course of a full season, but yeah. And I mean, sorry to cut you off. I mean, you're good. You know, road teams, from what we've been told or the stories that I've read, you know, it's almost like a moving bubble, right? Like, so it's even harder than the Orlando situation or the Disney World situation last last year when they were in an actual bubble. Now these teams are traveling, getting on planes, getting in hotels, 
but not moving around. So I, I can I can see that's even more stressful for for these guys. And remember, these guys are 20, 23, 25 years old and they're used to the nightlife. There's nothing going on. Um, so you do see you, you do see an uptick in scoring, for example, because they're getting rest. They're obviously not going out to the clubs and having fun. They're they're sleeping and getting rest. And then the the fact that there's no fans and stuff moving inside the arena, they also have a better uh, you know vantage point at the at the hoop. So a lot of the shooting and a lot of the offenses are a lot more consistent. I'm glad you brought that up because I've seen the opposite effect with a guy like Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray had that huge bubble streak, and now he's talking about how it's hard to focus on basketball when you're getting tested three times a day. And he credits one of his big streaks in the bubble to taking five hour naps every day. And he says he can't do that anymore because he has to be at the training facility constantly to get tested. So it seems like it's helping certain guys to increase their scoring and it's hurting other guys. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, Jamal Murray was what, a top five player in the NBA in the bubble. Um, he, you know, he went toe to toe with LeBron that entire series. He took down the Clippers, obviously. Um, he's taking a significant, I wouldn't say significant, but we all expected a big step His numbers up are the game. same. He's 18 and four and a half and it's, he, it's, he's good. He's not great. And we kind of thought he would take that step forward, but you know, he's one of those guys who I think has an all-star trajectory, not this year, obviously, but there are plenty of guys who deserve that first time all-star recognition. I'm really excited to talk to you about this. I'm going to tell you about one guy I think obviously deserves it. It's Zach Levine. He's a guy who's just never been on a winning team. He puts up the numbers, but he's averaging nearly 37 a game in February. And I really think we need to be talking about him more, especially as a guy who is on a Bulls team that is not good, obviously, but they're a lot better than they normally are. Yeah, Zach, Zach Levine is a very underrated scorer. And I think if he puts his mind to it, he actually could be a really solid one-on-one -on -one defender as well. The thing with Zach Levine is he's never going to shy away from the moment. Uh, fourth quarter, you know, clutch shots, clutch attempts. He's always going to be that guy. Obviously, he has to be that guy for that team, but he's not... He's not like a, like an early Dirk, right? Early Dirk kind of ran from that situation and Steve Nash took all the big shots. But now you see Zach Levine make or miss. He's going to be that guy. And I, I fully agree with you. I think he is uh, deserving of it. Um, I think the Bulls are on the way up. Laurie Marketing is hurt right now, but I think when he's back, that team is that team is actually pretty good to contend with. Um, a, another guy that I kind of identified for, you know, for the All-Star game or first-time All-Star is Jalen Brown. Man, Jalen Brown, I didn't think he had it in him, right? I, I always felt like he was good. I followed him at Cal. He moved to Boston. Like, it was, it was a great move for him, but I thought he was just going to be a role player, maybe like a 12, 15-point guy, solid defense. But looking at his numbers now, he has a higher PER than the superstar, Jason Tatum. And Boston is number three, number four in the East with Kemba and, and Tatum being in and out of the lineup. And they have to they have to appreciate Jalen Brown for that. Looking forward with with those two guys, Tatum and Brown, who do you see as the guy like the best player on that team, let's say for the next five years after this year? Yeah, I mean, I, Tatum still has all of the talent and he has all the moves. Obviously, they're both hard workers. And I think the, the fact that they have each other makes them a lot better because I think you and I, we've probably seen one-on-one -on -one competitions that they have in practice. That's only going to make you better, but I forgot the Jalen Brown uh, contract situation, but he's going to get max He just money. got his max. He just okay, got his okay. max. So he's, um, he's signed. He's good to go. I mean, we, we have a great coach in Brad Stevens. I think he's going to be able to kind of have them, you know, 
work together as a 1A, 1B situation? So my answer to that is, is both, right? All of the above. It's certainly a good problem to have, which is your better 23-year-old, 24-year-old superstar. They just got to get Kemba Walker back to being Kemba Walker because if they can do – I don't know. You're shaking your head. I'm shaking my head. I'm not really sure if you're going to get that, you know, UConn – top level Charlotte cardiac Kemba again, because the knee is just a big concern. It's been a concern since his uh, bubble days. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a big Kemba guy. I was huge. I thought he was underrated in Charlotte. He just never got a chance. And I thought him going to Boston was going to be the perfect fit because now he's always going to contend for the playoffs. He's always going to be put on those spots where he, we, we both agree that he excels in right. The clutch. However, I understand me being an, an old guy. I understand knee issues because I've had a couple of knee reconstructions myself. I'm pretty sure it's very debilitating for him. Um, for, for someone that relies so much on agility and quickness, his step back, his crossovers are so sick, right? When he's young and healthy, I don't think he's ever going to get to that point. He's going to be clutch. I think, you know, he's going to still be able to hit and make those shots, but it, they have to rely on on Tatum and Brown and, and Kemba's definitely the third wheel. It's interesting because the Boston's still trying to upgrade. They're trying to get new pieces. And you always hear them link to these big, big stars, Paul George, Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler. They didn't really give that full effort to get any of those guys. And now you're seeing the second tier guys. You know, apparently today they're interested in Harrison Barnes. And like Harrison Barnes is a nice player but he's not the guy who's going to put them over the top for a title. So I'm wondering if they did miss that window to go out and get that third big star to go with Tatum and Brown. I think they did. That's a great point. And I think a lot of it stems from uh, their, the way they treated Isaiah Thomas. I know it's three, four years ago. And I, I know like that's, that's in the past, but players talk to each other. All the players in the NBA are close now. And, and if one person is deemed mistreated or wasn't uh, treated fairly, I think that reverberates, you know, throughout the league. And obviously Anthony Davis and his dad was like, you know, there's no way we're going to Boston. Did you see how they treated Thomas? Um, and I think that's just going to be kind of their, their narrative until they can shake it until this core can move forward and actually contend. Um, I think the great players, obviously in, in 2021, they want to join teams that are contending and if Boston can show that Tatum and Brown can contend by themselves, they'll be able to attract a free agent or two. Yeah, it's just going to be, can you move that Kemba money? Can you move other money to make that work? It's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out in the next couple of years. One guy I think who's on his way up, SGA, Shea Gildas-Alexander. I would love, love for him to be yeah. an all-star. You know, you look at him and you're like, all right, they're not that great, but they're a competitive team. They're 10 and 14. And you know what? He's not putting up like garbage points. He's extremely efficient. 22 points a game on 50 and a half percent from the floor, six and a half assists. And you think of that team and you're like, all right, who else is scoring on that team? You know, Al Horford's been in and out of the lineup. You know, Lou Dort's a, a key member of that team and he can't really score. So, SGA putting up these numbers and the efficiency he's putting them up is really crazy to me because they're probably double teaming him down the stretch in games. That is, that is such a great point. Great point. Because there, there really is no other elite score on the team. I wouldn't even say SGA is an elite score, but the fact that he doesn't, you know, just Jack like a, like an Eddie house or a Jason Terry, the fact that he's above 50% is, is amazing to me. Um, I like him a lot. He's an elite one-on-one -on -one defender as well. A lot of people don't talk about his defense, um, but uh, he's one of the guys that I've identified as, 
you know, a cornerstone, cornerstone piece that's under 25 that nobody really talks about. Obviously, you have the Lucas and Zions and John Morant, but, you know, give me SGA because I know he's always going to bring it on the defensive end, too. Um, one of the guys I wanted to talk to you about being a Knicks fan yourself is uh, is Julius Randle, man. That guy, that guy actually played basketball five miles from me here in Plano, Texas. Um, and you know, I kind of followed him cause I actually went to a high school game or two. So I kind of like, I felt like I was attached to him. He went to LA, obviously it didn't work out, but man, New York, let me give you these numbers. He's 22 points, 11 rebounds, six assists, um, splits are 47% field goal, 80% from the free throw line and almost 40% from three. Like these are amazing numbers for Julius Randle on the Knicks. Coach Thibodeau, he's known to be a defensive coach, right? But the fact that he's allowing uh, Julius Rano to really excel and actually dominate those fourth quarters is really cool to watch. Yeah, I mean, Julius Randle is a very similar player to last year when he was doing the same things, but he would go into the paint, he'd barrel his way in, he'd get triple teamed, and he would just lose the ball or he'd get an offensive foul. Now he's making that right pass. He's making that right decision in the paint, which I think Tom Thibodeau deserves a ton of credit for that. You know, you see it, he's now averaging nearly six assists a game, as you said. He's just such a difference maker right now compared to where he was the last two years of his career. The scoring is similar. The rebounds are similar. It's that passing to me that's the big difference. I also am not sure if the three-point shooting is sustainable. We'll see about that. But the passing to me is real, and that's why he's a a guy who went from let's dump him for Terry Rozier last year to he's probably around for the next couple years in the next future. Yeah, and and you also have a couple step-ups, right? RJ, RJ Barrett took a huge step this year. I think he's averaging above 15 points. And then the rookie, Emmanuel Quickly, one of the rookie of the year candidates. I mean, if you can swing to that guy and his shooting and his, you know, uh, electric ball playmaking, I think um, Julius Randle has a really good core around him. I'm, I'm interested to see how the team moves forward. I do want to mention a couple of other guys that I don't think will make the team, but I want to mention just how good they're playing. First, first of all, Jeremy Grant. Um, Jeremy Grant on the Pistons. The Pistons are not a great team, but he's averaging well above 20 um Blake Griffin has taken a back seat it's really Jeremy Grant's team he's doing he's you know he's he's doing the the jump balls in the beginning he's taking all the technical free throws and all the clutch shots and plays are actually ran for him so it's like a really weird phenomenon because no one no one even heard of Jeremy Grant uh last year on the Nuggets when he was just a bit player and then the other guy if I if I told you about this guy he averages more points than Anthony Davis Chris Middleton Bam Adebayo, uh, Sabonis, Colin Sexton. He's averaging 23, 22 points. And, you know, he needs to get some love because, you know, he brings it every day on defense. His intensity is always high. Um, And Cleveland's had some really nice wins, right? They beat the Nets either once or twice. I think they contended against the Lakers. Yeah, twice. games, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they are actually not an easy out. So, from a betting standpoint, if if Sexton and Garland are playing, uh, Cleveland is one of the teams I identify. Yeah, I mean, those are some great points there, starting with Sexton. It's interesting because you brought up the Isaiah Thomas trade, and it doesn't look great for Boston to be dumping players like that. That trade does not look that bad for Cleveland right now. You traded Kyrie Irving, who is threatening knee surgery if you don't trade him, and you wind up with Isaiah Thomas – who I didn't work out granted, but you also got that first round pick. That first round pick became Colin Sexton. 
And that's a big, big player for them right now. And obviously, I think he's averaging like 27 a game since like the All-Star break last year. So this isn't like a fluke. This isn't a 25-game sample. This has been a legit guy for about a year now. I think he's incredible. And then as for Jeremy Grant, who's probably going to win most improved right now, he's a guy who got a similar offer to stay in Denver, that $20 million a year, three-year deal. And you think, oh, well, he would pick the, the team that was you know winning. And he didn't. He bet on himself. He said, I want to be more than a role player. And he's doing that. He's efficient. He's doing everything. But the Pistons just aren't good. So my question to you is, do we need to expand these all-star rosters? Because there's only 12 guys on a team. And you're not going to really consider a guy like Grant, despite the numbers, because the team is bad. That's, I mean, you can expand it to maybe 15, but you don't want to get I was to- thinking. Yeah, you don't want to get to a point where it just muddles down. Like, for example, in, in the NFL, right, there's the Pro Bowl, but then so many people sit out and then the first alternates get in and they're considered Pro Bowls as well. So you end up having like 40 Pro Bowls a year on just the offensive side. So um, for me, I, th- I think the All-Star game is still important from a legacy standpoint. You know, when we're talking about the greatest of all time or Hall of Fames or, or things like that, or even like contract situations, they look at how many all-star games and how many all-star game appearances you have. And so um, that would muddle the water if we, we added more, but Jeremy Grant is deserving. Um, That's a really bad team that actually covers very often. I love Pistons first half angles, for example. Um, And Jeremy Grant is the reason for that. Yeah. I mean, for example, like Bradley Beal last year, he averaged over 30 a game. He was not an all-star, you know, and it's like, should his contract be, you know, hurt because he just didn't get the votes. He wasn't popular enough. Now this year you look at it and, you know, he's in the news all the time. Now he's leading the charge in all-star and his season is more or less the same. They're the same team. The record is similar. So I just personally believe maybe if it's not 15, you make it 13, 14 every year. It seems like there's a key MVP caliber player who's just left off these teams. I scream it every year. I'm going to keep screaming it that we need more all-stars. I just think that's the right way to go. Yeah, the one that really sticks out to me is Damian Lillard, like four or five years ago. He did not make the all-star team, like wasn't even a top 12 player in in the West or top 24 player in the league, but he ended up making first team all NBA that year. So he became the top two guard. Um, So the fact that, yeah, the all-star team, because I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of it is, is due to fan voting, right? Like, you know, there, there are situations where Yao Ming, for example, who didn't play or Jeremy Lin, who didn't play, he has the big following in China. And so his voting kind of. Clay Thompson this year. Yeah. Clay, Clay Thompson, Thompson this year. It's crazy. I mean, I love, I love Clay though. So put him in the all-star game for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because I also think there's a chance that these guys are playing too many minutes in the all-star game. You saw last year with Kemba Walker, that's where he hurt his knee. He has not been the same since. And if you told me, hey, he's only playing, you know, 15 minutes tonight because it's a 15-man roster, I would think Boston would rather have that. I think the fans would rather see more guys and more recognition. Because, again, this is supposed to be a publicity event. It's supposed to be to show as many great players there are in this league. And to narrow it down like this, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and honestly, for this particular season, it's an interesting dichotomy too, right? Because the players don't want to play with this pandemic. They want to go home, have the rest, spend time with family. Um, but it seems like the owners and, and Adam Silver is trying to push forward for the game. 
Um, but who knows? Who, who knows who's going to win in the end? I think, you know, the NBA is probably the best in terms of listening to their players and understanding what the players want. So we may not get a game, to be honest, but we may still get an all-star type event. It just won't be a live game. I'm certainly fascinated because these players voted for this. They voted to approve the all-star game. And you haven't heard one player come out and go, this is fun. It's going to be safe. But at the same time, they voted this in. So what happened here behind the scenes to get this to be pushed through? Yeah, it's so sad from a uh, NBA all-star game standpoint, because last year the game was amazing. If you guys remember, like they, they had to get to 135 total score. It wasn't timed. It was like, who gets that first? Just like how we play pickup basketball. Um, and then the pandemic happened, but people forget how amazing and how great that game was. We saw like Giannis and LeBron go head to head. We see, you know, Kawhi and Giannis go head to head. We even saw James Harden play defense against Pascal Siakam in the end. Like he never plays defense. So you saw these guys actually trying. And the fact that, um, you know, obviously there's more sad things about the pandemic, but that is one of the things I remember because the All-Star game was so great last season. Yeah, I mean, these guys take it seriously for sure. I remember when the game was at MSG, Carmelo Anthony is limping around. He needs surgery, and he's holding out hope to play in that All-Star game at MSG. He gets in that game, and then right after that, he was done for the season. I'll never forget that. But that is going to do it for us. Thanks again to Analytics Capper. You can follow him on Twitter at Analytics Capper as well as at AnalyticsCapper.com. Albert, is there anything else we could plug for you before we wrap up the show? No, that's that's it. I'm, I'm excited to do these shows moving forward. I love talking basketball. I love talking sports. Um, I think it's going to be a great partnership. I, again, please follow me. Please follow the game day as well. Uh, we both have our YouTube channels and we're going to you know, push out as much content as possible. Can't wait. Coming up next, we're going to have Kyle Trimble, our injury expert, tell us what's going on with Anthony Davis, Shea Gillis-Alexander and other key players for your fantasy teams. Today, I'm super excited to introduce a man who will help save our fantasy teams dealing with injuries. Our injury expert, Kyle Trimble, is here to give us his expertise on the key injuries going on in the NBA and how they can impact our fantasy teams. Kyle's a licensed physical therapist, so believe me when I tell you, he knows what he's talking about. Kyle, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Oh, of course. And Kyle can be found at Kyle Trimble 88 on Twitter and on the game day website, giving key details about injuries for both the NBA and the NFL. All right, Kyle, we said, it. you know why you're here as our injury expert, our injury guru. Injuries have ravished the league over the last few weeks. And I want to discuss some of the key ones, starting with Anthony Davis. So Anthony Davis is dealing with Achilles tendinosis. So tendinosis is different from a tendonitis, tendonitis being acute injury, tendinosis, tendinosis being chronic. So at some point he had dealt with an injury to the area and it's gone through the healing process and didn't heal correctly, leading to the more chronic stage of the tendinosis. Looking back as injury history, just from this beginning of the season, because it's already compressed, he's been dealing with a calf, quadricep and adductor strain, an ankle sprain, in addition to back and left toe injuries. So he had all those injuries on the right side. At some point that was leading to compensation strategies for the body. So because the calf was hurt, the quadriceps, the adductor, different things, his body's having to adapt to adjust for the fact that those muscles and those areas weren't working properly. So at some point, something takes the brunt of those injuries or the compensation and his Achilles seems like it took a lot of that there. We're going to see a lot of that due to the fact that he has to do a lot of running and jumping and 
I mean, that's just what basketball is. So it's no surprise that the Achilles finally started giving him problems after dealing with the calf and the quadricep, uh, most notably because those help with explosive power. So understanding what the tendinosis is, when you have an injury, your body's always trying to repair itself there. And you're the muscles and the tendons that connect the muscles to the bone. They have these nice striations, like a nice, you know, kind of stake there. Well, when you have that injury to the tendon and to the muscle there, there's micro tears that occur in that tendon. So what happens is the body starts laying down collagen, try to repair it. Well, it's not laying it down in that nice striation pattern. What's happening is it's setting it down haphazardly. It's like you're trying to patch a hole as fast as you can. So then that's where you get the muscle trying to work through the actions that it needs to and pulling on the tendon. Well, the tendon's not fully healed. So it's pulling on in, uh, improperly healing tendon, leading that tendonitis. Once again, you play through it, then you're getting that tendinosis. And then that's where the degeneration of the collagen happens. So he's going to have pain. The connection between the muscle and bone is not as strong. And it's just going to cause a chronic issue where it's going to hurt with everything he's doing. And even right before we came on, ESPN released an article about how it's hurting him doing everything and everything, walking, running, jumping. So he can never, outside of sitting down and doing nothing, everything's going to be affected by this injury. So, so Kyle, is this something where f- frequent rest here and there, resting on back-to-backs, can that actually help this thing, or is he going to really need to shut it down for a few weeks? So we don't know where the tendinosis is at in this, the healing stage. They've had the ultrasound on They've had the imaging. They know that the tendinosis is going on, so it's at the chronic stage at this point. So normally these things take between three to six months to fully heal up where there's no more uh, persisting issues. That's if he's not playing. That's if he's not playing that, that's, at all. That's if like, yes, if he was off, you know, uh, off season, things like that. So he's going to be coming back and playing. Don't worry, people. That'd be ideal if you want to let things properly heal back up. So what he's going to want to do is he's probably going to want to reduce his minutes. He's probably going to want to reduce the back-to-back uh, games that he's playing. And he's going to try to avoid stressing that area out. So he's probably going to try to play in a pain-free manner. And as soon as he start having pain, back it off. Yeah, work it out. Try not to overwork it. Some of the things that he could do to help with that recovery is if he's doing deep tissue massage, eccentric exercises, which are low in the muscle under lengthening, which help really realign that collagen fiber so it can heal properly, and general rest along with other modalities such as ice and whatnot. Uh, it can help that to begin the healing process, but he'll be managing this thing through the end of the season. Unfortunately, due to the compressed schedule, he's going to be limited and He's just going to be just kind of limp into the finish line. If he can break up those pain moments where he can get maybe a game or, you know, he's averaged, I think, 33 minutes a game. I was looking on ESPN. If he can knock it down to maybe half of that and still be effective in that limited time he's playing, then he can still go out there and play and prevent things from getting worse and at least be available uh, in a limited fashion until you get the playoffs and then maybe you go all out saying, hey, you know, let's win the championship and we'll deal with this later. The key words you just told me, limited. I would be absolutely trying to dump Anthony Davis if that's the case, because he's not worth that first round pick that you invested in him if he's going to be a guy who is not able to play full minutes. He's not able to play back-to-backs. If he's going to go from 33 minutes a game to, as you said, God forbid, 17 to you know 20 minutes a game on certain nights, that's a big problem. So I think Anthony Davis is still going to have some big, big moments. You wait for one big game and then you cash out. You go 
trade him for whatever you can get. You know, you're not going to get a hundred cents on the dollar for a guy with dealing with all of these problems. It's not just the Achilles, as you, as you mentioned, it's several things. So I would probably just go out and try to see if I can go get 80 cents on the dollar for him and see if you can move on for a guy who you're probably going to get more minutes out of. Absolutely. And I worry as the season goes on, even as he starts coming back, is there going to be other injuries that pop up? Because I mean, basketball is a very physical game. So who's to say he's not going to have other issues with, let's say, his hamstring or the quad again or anything else? Or So I'd sell high while you can and hope that you get a schmuck to pick up uh, Anthony Davis. There you go, people. The Lakers have no reason to play him big minutes. They just came off an NBA championship. They didn't play him giant minutes last year. So there's there's no reason to do it this year. You know you what you're trying to accomplish. You're trying to win an NBA championship. Even if you don't finish with the number one seed of Utah or the Clippers catches them, there's really no reason. There's no incentive for them to go out and say, all right, we got to go Anthony Davis 33, 34 minutes a game. So that's great stuff right there. A young guy who I was really following, he was on one of my fantasy teams, DeAndre Hunt unfortunately he goes down he gets his knee scoped what's the latest with him are we going to be able to see him anytime soon i'm hoping so so what happened was he allowed meniscectomy so what the meniscus is it's like the shock absorbers for the knees there they allow the femur to articulate with the tibia and it deepens the socket even though it's a pretty shallow socket in general but the knee acts as a hinge joint so it's going to go forward backwards and when you're doing those pivoting motions in basketball, that can create uh, torsion and shear on the meniscus and causing a tear. They've been moving away from just cutting pieces of meniscus out and trying to repair it. But if the injury and the tear is small enough, sometimes they go in and just remove that and kind of smooth everything down and let them get back to play sooner. That's the approach that they took with Hunter. That's probably the best approach if he wants to continue playing on. If it was a big tear, he would have been out and he would have been shut down for six months there. So looking at the procedure, he's going to be out probably three weeks. He had the procedure done on the 8th. That's not too bad. That is not too bad if you're only losing him for three weeks. Exactly. And the procedure is pretty minor. It's just the fact that you're entering the joint space. You're going in through multiple angles in the, uh, in the knee through different holes in the knee. You're disrupting things in there is the best way to put it. So you're creating inflammation. And so as a result, you're going to reduce range of motion. You're going to have a temporary uh, decrease in strength because you're probably saying there's an injury. We got to protect yourself, shut things down. And then he has to work his way back from that. So functionally, once he gets a range of motion back and he's not having excessive swelling or even a lot of swelling during the activities, he can get through things relatively pain-free. Then he can rush, uh, he can get back. But the concern is rushing back and then getting things more aggravated and irritated. Then you're starting to deal with other problems. So three weeks, sometimes longer, sometimes four weeks, but three weeks should be a reasonable time to get him back. So if you're holding on to him, that could be somebody to hold on to uh, and bank on that he's going to be back and hopefully playing at 100% by the time, yeah, the end of February. Yeah, that was my question there. So yes, he's going to be back in three, four weeks, but is he going to be that 100%? Is he going to be able to give you the scoring and the, you know, the steals and the things he was doing before? Is there a relatively decent chance of that? Yes, uh, he's not going to be 100, 100%. At this point in the game, no matter NBA season, no guy Nobody's is 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yes, but he's going to be able to go out and do the things he needs to. He might be a half step slower, but to you and I, that's going to be negligible. He's still going to go out and do what he needs to do. And when that adrenaline's going, that's where that half step might be eliminated because he's going to go out and do what he needs to do and then that maintenance in between. So you might see some initial reduced minutes as he comes back. You might see some, you know, if they have back-to-backs, maybe play in the first game, give them the rest of the second game. 
But once he gets back in the swing of things, he should be good to go and then, you know, hit the playoffs if the uh, Hawks are in it there. Kevin Herter is a guy who has been eating up those minutes. I would definitely recommend him for your, you know, daily fantasy or your fantasy lineups. For anyone who plays category leagues, he's a guy who can shoot the three ball. He could do a little bit of everything. I would definitely recommend because he's going to eat. He's going to have plenty of those minutes while Hunter is out. Danilo Gallinari has been more of their sixth man, but his minutes will also increase with no Hunter on the way. And that wing rotation between Gallinari, Herter, and Reddish, they should all play extremely well in that fast-paced Atlanta system. Let's get over to uh, Cleveland. It's been a weird situation there where Kevin Love has been out the entire season. We'll get to him in a second. But Larry Nance was having a breakout season as that, you know, big guy who could play the three is more of a four they play big with drummond and they have jared allen there now too but what's going on with larry nance can we expect to see him again this season so larry nance according to what the reports were saying he has a fourth metacarpal fracture so that's a ring finger and it's more down you know not it's not the finger itself it's the the bone underneath the knuckle so if you make a fist it's that bone that goes down to the wrist so that's called the metacarpal there so he broke that. I'm not sure how he broke it. I didn't see video on that, but he needs surgery to stabilize a fracture. Reports are saying it's going to be out four to six weeks. Uh, from what I've seen, he is a right-handed shooter, and he was dealing with a previous right wrist sprain. So this might be a blessing in disguise. Um, wherever Cleveland is at, if they make the playoffs or not, this will allow Nance to come back fully healthy when he is cleared to play. It's just a matter of letting the bone heal up. It is a smaller bone. It will heal faster than some other bigger bones in your body. Uh, and the fact that he is a right-handed shooter, it'll allow that wrist sprain to fully heal up so he can hopefully get his jump shot back and allow him to come back 100%. And there really shouldn't be any change with regards to his functional play. It's just a matter of letting a bone heal back up and make sure he's not having any pain when he's dribbling or crossing over. What would you say the timetable for Nance returning to the court would be? Probably closer to four weeks because um, these guys are young. You know, they're going to have every resource available to come back and be ready to play. You know, uh, you and I, it might take a little bit longer because we're not high-level athletes. But with those guys, they can monitor things a little bit closely. So even if they have to say, hey, we're going to get you out there for half a game, we're going to make sure you're going to do the stuff you need to, it's better than saying, hey, let's go zero to 100 right off the bat, and then you're having pain and you're having setbacks. They maybe say, let's go – you know, play half the game and limit your minutes and okay, you're feeling good. Okay. Let's get you back out there. It's a, it's a fracture. It's pretty straightforward. So Hunter and Nance so far gotten better news from you than I was expecting. A guy who has not gotten great news this season is Kevin Love, who originally was supposed to be out only three weeks. He's been out the entire season. I don't really know what's going on with him. Uh, can you tell us what, what is the problem here? So uh, reports were saying he was dealing with the right calf strain uh, this since December 27th. So we're going on what, six, seven weeks now since it's that um, they designate as a high grade. So there's different grades of a uh, muscle strain. Grade one's pretty minor. It could take you, you know, seven, 10 days to get through grade two. You're looking at, you know, more severity, sometimes a little bit longer, four to six weeks based on the location. Uh, and then grade three, you're talking like an actual muscle tearing rupture where you're talking surgery or you're out for extended time to let things heal up there. So based on the high grade, they had said 21 days, I think originally when he had the injury. You know, that's how it normally is for a grade two. He's been out much longer than that, though. They did say on CBS Sports that he was cleared for individual workouts as of, uh, let me get the date here, of February 4th. So he's been doing some individual workouts, getting back into it. The muscle is probably healed up in there by now. I mean, of course, we don't know the imaging and whatnot. 
but he has to get that explosive power back. And considering all the stuff that he has to do, getting up for rebounds, shooting, running around like crazy, that start-stop action, it doesn't take a whole lot to re-injure calves. And calves are are nagging. I mean, they're they're known for that. So they don't want to say, eh, it looks healthy on film. Let's get you back out there. Then you go pull it immediately. Then you're out for another you know, two or three weeks. Add in the fact that he's 6'8", 251. He's a big boy. You know, that takes a lot of power power to generate from the quads. Yes. And BB and 32, I don't move like I was 10 years ago. So I feel Kevin love when I say I'm not trying to rush back either from any injuries I deal with. So they're just playing the cautious approach. They've been out without them through the entire season so far. I think the goal is to make sure that let's get him back hundred percent healthy. So if the Cavaliers are in that playoff uh, position to make that jump, they can actually do that. And then they have a full healthy Kevin Love instead of trying to rush him out there and saying, hey, let's limp you in. And then we miss the playoffs and we beat the snot out of you for no good reason. I wonder, I mean, I'm just speculating here, but I wonder if one of the reasons why they're slowing Kevin Love's progress down here is they have this glut at center. They have Andre Drummond. They have Jared Allen. They don't fit together. Now you're going to throw a third power forward center into that mix i don't see how that's going to work i wonder if they're like all right kevin love you're not 100 yet you keep working on getting that power back as you said while we look for a trade for andre drummond and then you're going to have a three four five of nance love and allen for the next couple years because that kevin love contract does not look like it's movable especially with the way his injuries have gone and you know again we talked about it three weeks it's been nagging him and now here we are six weeks later and it's there's still no update on when he's actually going to get back on the court. That'd be something you just have to watch. The Cleveland's 10 and 16. They're not too far out from a playoff spot. I mean, Atlanta's sitting at the eight at 11 and 13. So it's possible they're going to make a run for that. And all it takes is a few teams to fall Cleveland to get a hot streak. And if they get love back fast, that could suddenly change their fortunes and they're going to have a healthy love come back. And then you add a Nance and suddenly it's a different ball game. If those two come back in time. I'm going to be really fascinating to see how this trade deadline goes, because as you just said, like the Cavs are in it, like 13 of these 15 teams out East can say we're in this race because other than Washington, who still is going for it, by the way, and Detroit, everyone else is kind of in this, we're in this race for the postseason right now, where I really don't know if anyone's going to just start selling off pieces. So and Andre Drummond might actually wind up staying in Cleveland. It's going to be really fascinating to see how March 25th plays out. Let's get to Christian Wood. One of my favorite guys. I got him in a fantasy league last year in his breakout couple weeks in Detroit. He helped me win a championship. He's gotten even better this season in Houston. I put some money down on him in the win most improved. And then he gets the ankle problem. And I want to know, is he going to be able to come back in the next couple of weeks? Cause if not, I'm losing some money. <laughs> he will be able to come back. So he's dealing with the right inversion ankle sprain. These are a dime a dozen for a basketball player. Uh, if I'm a basketball player that has never had an inversion ankle sprain, I will call them the biggest liar on the you know planet. It just, that's what happens with, with the basketball. Um, it just, this a, that's how it is. So he had this back on February 4th. That looked a lot worse on film than what well, he was like carried off. So I was like, oh, he's done. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's some embellishment here and there. And I'm sure there was a lot of pain with it too, but uh, it looked a lot worse than it really was. Unfortunately, it was just an inversion ankle sprain. They could take two or three weeks to come back from. It depends on how severe the original injury was. It looked like it could be a grade one, grade two in that range. 
what might have helped is if he had previous injuries to the ankles. And like I, going back to what I said about the fact that they're diamond dozen. So there might have been some natural laxity in the joint as it was that he's gotten used to because of previous injuries. That might help him come back a little bit quicker. So we don't want chronic instability in the ankle, but having some laxity might allow for less damage with this latest injury. So you're looking at best case scenario, two weeks out, he could be out another two weeks, but he should come back. He'll still be working through things, but they can throw a brace on him. They can throw some tape on him and he's going to do what he does and still play pretty effectively. It's just a matter of getting a swelling down, getting the pain out of there and be able to address the problem so that you can pivot and jump properly without favoring that side and causing problems to the left side. If he's only going to miss two more weeks, I, I still like his chances to win most improved for sure. If not, Jeremy Grant, another great option there. He's having a breakout season in Detroit. I was very surprised by that. I was like, oh, what, why are they signing all these bigs? They're giving Jeremy Grant 20 million a year. He was a, he was a guy who was a journeyman. He was moving all around. He finally had a, a role player role in Denver, but I didn't see this coming for sure. And now it looks like he might waltz to uh, that award. SGA, Shea Gildas Alexander, his injury is a little weirder where he's missing sporadic time. He's missed three of the last five games. Is, is this something that's going to bother him for a while? It might. Uh, Roto World had, uh, excuse me, NBC Sports, and it looked like Roto World as well, but they had noted that he had left knee sprain. So I'm thinking MCL at that point, and he's played and not played, and of course there would be a lot of confusion with that. These guys all want to play. They, if you told them they broke their bone, they could find some way to get back out there quicker as soon as they could. So my guess was uh, SGA was probably feeling good, saying, hey, I'm good to go, I'm going to play, and then either tweaked something in one of the games or was having some uh, residual swelling, soreness, and it just wasn't feeling right, couldn't do what he does best there. And so they said, let's hold you out there. My guess is they're going to be a little more cautious with it. They did say it was nothing serious at the time but they also said that Kevin Durant's Achilles was nothing at the time too so there has to be some uh you know trying to think of the, the word I want to use but I, I can't think of it right now but you always have to take it with a grain of salt is what I'm trying to say yes yeah so and you you see what the Thunder you know they're playing the long game these other teams you, t- you mentioned Cleveland being in the playoff race the Rockets are in the playoff race they all have something to play for here the Hawks basically are going to fire their whole front office if they don't make the playoffs so these guys are all going to if these guys are ready to play they're going to play SGA they're playing the long game there so if he's dealing with some nagging injury they may you know rest him or they may you know start his minutes you know downgrade his minutes exactly and the MCL sprains they could take you know, anywhere from two to three weeks to fully get better. It just depends on the severity, you know, uh, grade two, four to six, and you go on and on from there and then look at surgery. But uh, SGA is not in that time frame or scenario where he's going to need surgery. It's just a matter of giving your body time to rest. And with a compressed schedule, they simply don't have the time to rest, especially coming off the bubble portion of the season. And then they only had, what, three months to fully recover and, those guys are trying to do everything they can and ramping back up. So they never really had that time to rest and recover. That's why we're seeing this uh, increase in injuries in general, because these guys coming off a season that was messed up because of the pandemic, and then they're coming back and playing a condensed season. So it's just, it's a recipe for disaster from an injury standpoint, but when there's millions of dollars at stake, they're going to find a way to play. With the all-star break, the second week of March here, I wonder if, you know, guys who are going to miss two, three weeks, they might make that three, four weeks and say, Hey, get that extra week be ready to go. And we'll, we'll have to see about that. But 
Kyle, thank you so much. This is why he's our injury guru. I really appreciate you taking the time and we'll be sure to get you back on the show when the uh, fantasy playoffs begin. You can tell us who to hold on to, who to let go. Is there anything we can get you to plug before uh, we wrap the show? Um, follow me over at the Game Day NFL. I started doing work for the you know, Game Day Hoops and I just published an article about the Anthony Davis uh, Achilles injury. So if you want to read a little bit more about that and click on some of the links I included in there, you can check that out. Uh, I also do a lot of football and I started diving into baseball with the uh, game day with baseball specifically football. You can find me at banged up bills. Uh, you can find me at Buffalo rumblings cover one. I do a lot of football centric stuff, but you know, baseball, basketball injuries, they're all fun to talk about. And I'm willing to talk about anytime, anywhere. I'm a, I'm a huge baseball guy at a dynasty league and it never seems like there's enough information on these injuries. So I'm going to be sure to be checking that out. My team's always getting hurt. So I will be sure to follow you about that. And I'll be bugging you about different baseball questions, but that is going to do it for us here on the hedge. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next Friday to discuss more NBA action. And as always keep it locked in here on the game day. <laughs>